All right, it must be Palm Sunday. All right, lots of joy, lots of dancing. Y'all learned some new words today. What's this one? Oh, you paid attention. One more time. River, all right. What's this one? Good for you. Didn't know we were going to learn a new language today, but there it is. Dancing and singing, children leading us, our forever blessed and uh, leading us as well. Praise God, it says. Praise God. Oh, my goodness. Let all creation be quiet because our praise is going to be so much. You know, we're going to bring it to God. Are you ready to give that much praise? You ready this week to celebrate? Get ready for Easter? It's almost here. We've been following the story in the book of Mark. We've been following Mark's account of it, which is not the same as all of the other gospel writers. But two of the other gospel writers copied Mark. Don't know if you knew that or not, but Luke and Matthew copied Mark. About 90% or more of Mark is in Matthew and Luke, but each have a different take. So we've been following the gospel of Mark. In the gospel of Mark, Jesus never has enough time. Jesus goes immediately to this, immediately to that. Jesus is on the move. Jesus is a man of action. Jesus also is someone who plans things out. If you read the story closely today, Jesus is almost a micromanager. Did you notice that? There's this particular donkey in this particular place, and it's never been ridden. Now go fetch it for me. You know, that's sometimes what it's like to be in God's service. Go fetch the donkey for me. Thank you, Jesus. Here I go. Have you ever done one of those things for Jesus where essentially you're in a muck and mire trying to corral some donkey? I bet you have. I bet you have. Part of what Jesus asks us to do is to respond and to say yes. So in this part of the Gospel of Mark, we've heard all the immediacy, all the urgency, Jesus moving quickly. We've heard Jesus shift his face towards Jerusalem. And as Jesus shifts his face towards Jerusalem, it's not as happy-go-lucky as it was before. It's not just getting healed. It's not just getting taught. He's telling them, we're going to change the world. And it's not going to quite look like what you expect. But they're not hearing that part yet. They've been trying to misdirect them, get them to go other directions. But Jesus, no, we're going to Jerusalem. And so Jesus enters Jerusalem a particular way. On that donkey, he had him go fetch. And they wave palm branches and they throw their cloaks down. And if you know enough about the Roman Empire and enough about that time period, Jesus is actually putting it in the face of the empire. When the people say, Hosanna, save us to Jesus, they're saying, save us from the empire. So he's rankling some people in doing this, this way. And the people on the streets are with him. They are throwing cloaks down. They're throwing whatever they have down in front of the donkey. You know, if it's your, your leather motorcycle jacket, it's on the ground. If it's your feather boa, it's on the ground. If it's your Gryffindor cape, it's on the ground. You know, we're just, anything that we've got, it's on the ground. Because we're saying, this is the Lord not the emperor. Jesus is. To do that, they had to come out of the closet. To do that, they had to take a risk. To be a part of that parade, they had to say, we support this idea of a new kingdom that's different from what we're experiencing. 
what Rome has done right now is broken, and it's not working. And so we're going to support this kingdom of love and grace, and we're going to show you, we're going to throw our cloaks on the ground, because this is what a real king should look like. So that's the kind of parade that's happening. It's a political parade, and as Jesus goes into the city of Jerusalem, on the opposite side of where the emperor's coming in, at the same time, perhaps, he goes in and goes right to the temple. And here's everyone with him. He goes right into the temple, and he looks around as if he's scouting it out, because what happens at the end of that is he just goes home. Man, he had a crowd. He had a mob. He could make them do anything. But he goes into the temple, looks around, and goes home. I don't know how you would feel being a part of that. You might say, that's it? What did I get all my kids packed up and down here for today? Doesn't he know how long that took? You know, that's it? You know, the next day in this week, Jesus goes back and turns over the tables in the temple. So not only has he put it in the face of the empire, he's also put it in the face of the temple authorities, that it's a new world, something different has to happen. As we participate in that parade, and we think it today as the kids are dancing, and as we're telling the rocks be silent, we think we're saying, praise Jesus, go Jesus, Jesus time, right? Hosanna, praise Jesus. The word for Hosanna in the Hebrew is a contraction between two different words. And this is a Texan saying them, so please forgive me. <laughs> the words are Yasha and Na. Yasha and Na. Does that sound Texan to you? <laughs> and they mean, Yasha means to save, to redeem. And Na means we beseech you, we pray. So they're not really saying, praise you, Jesus. They're saying, save us, Jesus. Please, please save us, Jesus. Things aren't working. It's not right. Save us. Save us now. We're on borrowed time. We don't know if we can make it any further. Save us now, Jesus. And Jesus has been healing and teaching, and on his mind at this time is to do something even bigger that will save them. But to them, it just looks like he went home. And they're saying, save us, Jesus. Please, save us. Save us now. When we shout Hosanna, can we say it in the same way? Instead of go, Jesus, for us today, what is it in our hearts? Can we go to that place where we want healing? Can we go to that place where we're not sure what to do next? And from that place, can we say, Hosanna, save us, Jesus, please. I know some of you don't think you need any saving. You know, you don't need any saving. And I would tell you, watch out. Hosanna, save us, Jesus, save us. What might we need saving for? If we dip down into our souls and we're honest as those people along the path were, we might say, save me, save me, Jesus, from vengeance. Save me, Jesus, save me from cancer. Save me from depression, from anxiety. Save me, Jesus, from my debt. 
save me from my greed. Save me, Jesus. Save me from the strife in my family that I don't know what to do with it. Save me from boredom. Save me from this endless cycle of violence. Save me from humiliation, from bitterness. Save me from arrogance, from loneliness. Save me, God. Save me from my fears. Save me, God. Save me, Jesus. Save me from myself. Save me, Jesus. Are we ready to be that kind of Hosanna shouters that invite God into our hearts and the place where we most need God to save us? This is what they were shouting. Hosanna, save me, please. In each and every moment that we shift our perspective on any of those things and take a different kind of step, it is a miracle. It is a miracle. And we say, thank you, God. Help me shift from all of these fears more into your love, O oh God. So they said, save me, and Jesus has gone home because he has a different plan of saving. And then we walk through this week that we call the passion. We want you to walk this week with Jesus as well. We want you to consider doing the daytime group with Reverend Vicki or the virtual group so you can do step by step this week in preparation for Easter. We want you to come on Thursday night and get your feet washed, embody the story. We want you to come on Friday night and hear our connection to the steps that Jesus took. We want you to be able to walk the walk that Jesus walked, and we've made opportunities for that. It's not anticlimactic. He didn't just go home. He had a bigger plan, and it unfolds each and every day of this week. Some of you may need to turn over some tables. Some of you may need to see Jesus in action this week. But turning over the tables and getting the Jewish authorities mad at him and, and doing that parade that said, this is the true kingdom, put Jesus on death row. Remember that part of the story? Put Jesus on death row with others who had done something else that the empire didn't like. I wonder who his companions on death row looked like. Did they look like others who had been marginalized and oppressed? Did they look like Jesus looked to the empire? I don't know. But here is Jesus on death row. And we don't say this week that we glorify capital punishment or death row in any way. We say this week that essentially God says, I'm done with violence. I am done with violence. Save us, God, from vengeance. Save us. Won't you, Jesus? I don't know if you know, but in our country, Texas, more than double all the other states puts people on death row. Our state. And don't you know that here in Harris County, we more than double the rest of our state put people on death row. We are at one of the most killing places in the US and some places of the world. People don't get another chance at redemption. We choose to kill them. And on death row at this point in time, there are 18 people from Harris County 
14 of them are African-American, and three of them are Hispanic. Save us. Save us, Jesus, from this broken place of violence. Save us. Move us from vengeance to forgiveness. Move us from retribution to the possibility of redemption and restoration. Save us, Jesus. A friend of mine's kid was killed. He was 22 years old. He'd offered a place to stay to someone else, and they'd stayed with him for about a week. And Bob's son then offered the person his car for a trip that the person needed to make. And in the doing, the person ran over and killed Bob's son. It was horrible. Bob was a Presbyterian pastor and was supposed to get up and preach the next Sunday. And wondered how in the world my heart is full of anger. My heart is full of tears. How in the world? And he just got up and told him that. I'm angry and I'm full of tears. I walked with him through the journey of this killer's trial. And in that journey saw the different pieces of evidence and the person was convicted and it came time for the punishment phase. And in the punishment phase they asked the family, what did the family desire? What could they do for the family? And I was sitting behind that bar in the courtroom and Bob's sitting right here at a little table with a microphone. So what do you want, father of the young man who was killed? What do you want? And in this journey, Bob had prayed a lot and they got to that day and Bob said, I don't want two young people to be killed. I don't want us to put another person to death. I don't want to be ruled by vengeance in my life. I don't want to have this be on my soul forever. And Bob said, I want you not to give them the death penalty. And they did not. It was a journey for him to move from the first vengeance he felt to the place where he could say, I don't want this young person to also be killed. Oh, I believe it's a journey God asks us to make. I believe it's a journey that Jesus shows us to make. How do we move from those places to a new perspective in our life? How do we become saved? Oh my, it can be difficult and it can be challenging. It can feel like we're mucking in the mire of that donkey stable trying to get to the place where we find salvation. And there it is. We know that families that seek the death penalty don't find any grace. Their grief is more complicated and it lasts longer. So it doesn't heal the family to put another person to death. We need to stop this violence. We need to listen to God in the midst of it and say, oh God, it's so broken, help us, save us. Please, so that we may know what we can do. Now, Jesus was one of those who kind of lived with a Blanche Dubois frame of mind. Can you see that? He depended on the kindness of strangers. Just dependent on the kindness of strangers. Jesus was born in a borrowed place, laid in a borrowed manger. 
As he traveled, he borrowed every place he stayed. He was crucified on a borrowed cross, wearing a borrowed crown. And when Jesus died, somebody put his body in a borrowed tomb. Jesus didn't grasp to this life, but borrowed. He was a borrower. What does it mean not to hold so tightly and to trust God for what we need? Trust God to save us when and where it is important to. I've had a little bit of experience with borrowing. I had a friend, roommate, that borrowed my car for a while. Her name was Debbie, and she just got sober, and she was trying to shift her health and life, both with sobriety and with a new job. And I was lucky enough to be able to walk to work from where our apartment was. And so I said, Debbie, you just take my car for your job search. You can have it. Go ahead and borrow it. And she said, thank you. I'll do that. Four months later, I wasn't so happy. In the times when she didn't come right home, you know, I really wasn't happy. But this is the part of extending myself to someone else for what they need. And she found that work, and we celebrated it together. But the journey wasn't always pleasant. The letting go of what I thought was mine so that she could find a new way, I believe it saved me. Even though I griped about it, I believe it saved me. So here we are at this place in this journey where we ask God, save us. Save us, God. Help us. And God turns out to be a borrower. God turns out to be the one that says, okay, saving you might look like I borrow you. I borrow your hands and feet for the work of justice. I borrow your heart to spread compassion and love in this world. I borrow your very being so that people may see light. Jesus may look at us at this point in time when we're saying, save us, and say, absolutely, walk with me a little while. In that walking, you might have to fetch a few donkeys. You know, your feet may get a little muddy. It's more than offering a cup of sugar or a cup of milk. But Jesus says, can I borrow your heart, your stories, your strength, your comfort, your hope, your inspiration? Can I borrow your faith, your prayers? Can I borrow you? And in the borrowing, may you be saved. What if being saved means being borrowed by God? What do we have to share in order to save you, I need to borrow you, whether it's feather boas on the ground, Easter bonnets on your head, hip dink, and donkey do. I need to borrow you. And in saying yes, saying you will be mine, you will be saved. Amen.
use anything, Lord. You can use me. Take my hands, Lord, and my feet. Touch my heart, Lord. Speak through me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me.